Hey everybody, Dina Eisenberg with Outsource Easier with you again. You know how much I love to bring you amazing experts who are going to make your life as a lawyer just so much easier. You have plenty of things to do on your plate and I am always looking to find wonderful, trustworthy advisors to help you take some of that stuff right off your plate. Today, I am so delighted to introduce you to my friend, Susan Freeman. She is a business development expert, and I cannot wait for her to tell you more about what she is doing. So Susan, thanks for joining us on the call. Thank you for having me, Dina. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I have just launched a new business called Freeman Means Business in the Bay Area, although I plan to go nationwide and global someday. What I do is I help primarily attorneys um, and my new business focuses on female attorneys, but that's not to say I won't help male attorneys as well. Hone their communication skills so that they can bring in new business. Uh, there are different tacks that one must take to attract new clients or, or convert prospects to clients, to expand on existing client relationships, and to re retain the clients that we, that we have. So I help attorneys with do that, doing those sorts of things and with the communication that helps them to succeed. Um, business development and marketing are um, two things that attorneys are not usually comfortable with doing. And yeah, so, so let's actually just you know, highlight that particular point because I am sure there's going to be somebody who is listening to this podcast who does not know the difference between marketing and business development. They kind of, you know, swim in the same pool, but I'm pretty sure they're different fish. Will you tell yeah. us about that? Yes, yes, yes. So I think that you're spot on with that. Um, most attorneys I know, and sometimes business development and marketing professionals or those titled as such in law firms don't really understand the difference between business development and marketing. So in a nutshell, one can look at marketing is raising your reputation. Step one, you need to let the world know you're there, who you are, what you do, and how you can help them. So raising your reputation might fall easily into the marketing bucket, whereas building relationships falls into the business development bucket. So with the 1,400 or so attorneys I've worked with over the years, they inevitably tell me, well, I'm focusing on business development. I gave a speech <laughs> or I wrote a paper or I was quoted. Um, and that's all great. Those, those things will you know, generate inquiries, but they don't always lead to new business and they're not always client-centric. So business development is definitely focused on the client's needs, finding out what those needs are, providing a customized solution, building rapport and trust, and becoming a trusted advisor. Whereas marketing is primarily raising your own reputation. You get the chance to practice some, some PR in there and just speak of yourself and your pedigree and your background and expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in business development, I discourage that greatly. Uh, clients don't want to hear about your pedigree, your background, your expertise when you're there to assess their needs. They wouldn't have invited you if you didn't meet those other criteria first. Good. So, Good way to think that about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to clarify. Yeah, because, you know, I want people to think of their law practices as a business. I often remind my folks in my mastermind on 
Facebook, the Intentional Lawyers Club, that you're running a law business. Exactly. We happen to call it a process because that's what we do, but we have to apply business processes and um, tactics to grow the law firm. So what are some of the things that you think lawyers should start doing right now? If I'm not giving a speech um, and doing those kind of things, what should I be doing to improve my business development? skills. You know, let me say two things. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned the business of law aspect because I just want to say way back when in 2010, I wrote a white paper that then became a thesis on transitioning from a practice of law to a business of law. And what that means is we have to add those business processes that you mentioned to our marketing mix. Traditional marketing won't cut it. What does that mean? That means face-to-face -face client interviews, asking your client what's going on in his or her business, learning more about the business, the industry, the competitive landscape, mm. the things that they're facing in the regulatory arena. Um, this is business of law, business development, where it's client-centric, you understand their language, you know their, their industry, what's going on, the trends in the industry. That is business development. And I assist attorneys in asking power questions so that they can show respect to the client and not just walk in the door uh, understanding the law, but also walk in the door understanding the client or prospect's business and industry. Yeah, it's so important to really um, make that connection. I talk a lot about finding your ideal best client. And you know, part of that is niching down and understanding that niche and the problems that they want you to solve. So those two kind of things are kind of aligned. Exactly. Time thinking about, okay, you know, this is my target, but really, <laughs> what do they want from me? Because right, I think attorneys are um, generally, especially litigators. I've worked with both transactions attorneys and litigators over many, many years. However, I think litigators find it more challenging to seek that win-win, uh, to ask questions to which they don't already know the answer, <laughs> to be a little vulnerable. And I encourage that. So, so step one, if I had to give some sort of brief process, would be do your research. You know, there are some powerful questions out there that you need to answer before you even go to the client or prospect's office understand things that, you know, not, not simple questions like how do you make money where you located? That's almost an insult to the client that you didn't look at their website. But I'm talking um, serious questions about how, how their business is played out across in the industry across the years, you know, the yeah. trends in that industry. I do for my clients, I do uh, not only business market research, Mm -hmm. um, but I also do litigation research, you know, where has this company been sued historically and in what areas? Ah. who does their work now? And if they're using another lawyer who does the exact same kind of work that I do, uh, mm -hmm. why, why, why not me? You know, so find out maybe they don't know you do that kind of work yep. or maybe they know you do and maybe you need to do a little work to, you know, improve your standing. Um, so the second thing I do with clients is I teach them how to interview their clients. So assessing their business needs. You can do this with both prospects and current clients. Yeah. You do this in an ongoing manner. I teach them. Um, now I'm not saying they're very comfortable with this, 
but I try to teach them to embrace pre-pitch and post-pitch questions. <laughs> you know? Which I probably would call something else, but let's hear what you call a pre-pitch question. So, so let's say, um, you, now I call pitches in-person presentations. A lot of people in the industry call that um, a sales pitch. You know, what's your, I don't believe in uh, doing a sales pitch. I believe in asking the questions, learning more information. But if you're doing a pitch, meaning an in-person presentation, there are certain things you need to know, like who will be in the room, what's most important to you, what would you like to discuss, are there any risks you currently face? That way, when you visit in person and you and your partner or just you yourself are in the face of the client, the information you're working with is relevant to the client. Right. Not, you don't want to waste their time and they certainly don't want to waste your time considering sometimes they're being billed for that time. <laughs> so I also help clients with um, survey uh, questions, like satisfaction of clients. You know, what is yeah. it? Yeah. So, so inevitably clients in the business arena will give a law firm or a lawyer an A in legal work product because often they don't really know what that is. And they assume, well, I hired this guy or this gal. So I know they know the law and they must be great at the law, but where they do um, struggle is giving high marks in the areas where business people focus most like client service. Right. Number yeah. So I found a lot of times that lawyers don't understand, well, why would they call me non-responsive? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, laughing because you know, that's the number one bar complaint, right? You betcha. You betcha. So when, when I say, well, what do you define responsive as? And do you know how your clients define individual clients? They might define it differently. You need to ask that question. So that might be one of your pre-pitch questions. You know, when do you expect to get us to get back to you when you reach out or yeah. another, I would say that I hear that as an exit question yeah so, you know you're gonna do the research anyway to find out in general when do your clients like want to be contacted and what's the communication style at the front end as part of your intake process exactly. but I also see that question at the back end so I've been encouraging my folks to do exit interviews which Perfect. I know can help with and part of that is what was the best part of your experience with me? And, you know, what was the most puzzling part? Ah, that's a great way to put it. That's a great comfortable way for a lawyer to ask about what can I do better for yeah. you? I think they're m more comfortable saying what was the most puzzling part than they would be saying, how can I improve? What can yeah, I do? There you go. I, you know, I, I remember I'm a, I'm a lawyer. So I, I clearly understand that we don't necessarily want to display. <laughs> Yeah, something or that we might have a vulnerability, even though I don't think that's the best way to practice. Well, um, when I train litigators, um, and I'm married to a litigator as well, I, I'm, a business, I'm a business executive who's come from the corporate world, so I know what I want to see on my end. Yeah, but, and just like I know what I see on my end, I, I'm like in that bubble. So a lot of litigators live in their litigator bubble. So they're paid to be right, afraid to be wrong, risk averse. They know the answers before they ask the questions. And they tend to listen with judgment rather than empathy. Ooh. And so all that works great in the courtroom when you're on trial and it's a win-lose situation. And you really have to be, um, you know, the expert in all things. Yes, you do. 
Yeah. So as much as I honor that and, and, and praise them for that aspect in the courtroom, I try to undo some of that thinking when it comes to meeting with clients in the boardroom. Right. So yeah, it's a little tough to undo some of that. I know I tell my husband, don't bring it home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so funny you should mention that because I'm reading a new book by Alan Alda, the actor. Nice, yeah. And his book is called "If I Understood." If I understood you, would I have this look on your my face? <laughs> and it's really about the fact that people don't listen the way they should listen, right? And how much better your life gets when you sort of improve that skill set. And so I'm like encouraging all lawyers read that book because yeah. you know your family wants you to read it because they don't want you to worry about <laughs> them. This could save your marriage. Yeah. That's right. Your clients want you to read it because they actually want you to pay attention to them. <laughs> exactly. You're spot on. So I, I'm going to go buy that book today, by the way. So I'm yep. a yep. reader. Um, I will well, say that over the years, um, active listening has been probably the number one way to show you care. Mm. And, and because client service is the number one business development strategy, throughout history, if you ask me. Um, I think listening actively and then acting on what you learn, and you can't ignore what you learn because that looks really bad, but acting on what you learn really does help the lawyer to um, grow and nurture a trusted relationship as a trusted advisor, not just a vendor of legal services, but a trusted advisor to the client. I so agree. And so for someone who was like, well, how important to that, I will remind you the last time you went to the doctor. And if it was one of those appointments where they're in, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, they're in in two minutes, they asked you 10 seconds worth of questions and out, how much you appreciate that compared to the doctor who, you know, gets there pretty much right after you get there. You have a pleasant conversation about nothing for about two seconds so your blood pressure can go down. And then they ask you what's going on with you and you get to respond totally different experience and that's what you're trying to give to clients it's not your legal expertise right comfort you're trying to give them at that moment you know i i'm i have a grin on my face you can't see it but i hope you can hear the <laughs> you i hope you can hear the connection that you and i have and i hope yeah. that listeners will share this but when I do, there's a presentation I do that I close. The very final slide says, think about it. A doctor would not prescribe a medication without diagnosing the illness first. Be a trusted advisor and partner with your clients. So it delights me that you and I are on the same page. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. on the same page because then everyone is served, right? Right. Everyone is better served with that. Oh, I'm getting a little goosebumpy there. <laughs> I call it chicken skin, and yes, I have it too. Like, so, you know, somebody is going to be like, well, I just don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm not changing. To that lawyer, what would you say? Oh, I don't think I've never heard that before. <laughs> I have. <laughs> In fact, some of those who are the best at what they do, their trades, they, let's say um, litigation, some of the litigators are the best at that. They are very uncomfortable with this, this change in attitude, thought, behavior, skill set, in fact. It's a change in skill set. So I have heard that before. And with respect and honor, I turn to them and I say, 
this is client driven and I show them the data that clients say, I don't want my outside counsel to make me feel stupid or to speak condescendingly to me, or I want to be able to work as a team member. I want someone who um, is likable. So I bring in a lot of Cialdini's six principles of influence and persuasion. Yes. Yes. Hey, yes. <laughs> we talk a lot about that, you know, reciprocity, likability, becoming one with mirroring and matching the, you know, yeah. the, yeah, the behavior of the client. So that makes the case to a thinking person. It's not just Susan Freeman, whom I know they trust or they wouldn't have hired me in the first place or brought mm -hmm. me in for, uh, you know, a consult, but it's client driven all across the country. We hear general counsels in their staff. We also hear C-level people outside of the legal department who are now involved in the decision to buy legal services. Look at the new role of the chief procurement officer. That's right. Yeah. Those people want to lower their legal expenses and the lawyers jump immediately to give a discount in the rates. And I say to the lawyer, if you're worth what you've been charging, why are you offering a discount? Exactly. You have to step outside yourself, learn their business and industry and become more creative in how to lower legal expenses. Maybe it means a new use of technology. Maybe mm -hmm. it means more efficient legal operations or processes. Maybe it means a unique method of communication with their clients, say a portal where they can log in and see where we are on the matter. Um, it might even mean, for example, when you, when you speak the language of the client, ask them, I, I had a, a lawyer learn the hard way on this one, ask them, how would you like me to communicate with you via email, snail mail, fax, you know, whatever. It has to be client driven. So this one lawyer, uh, years and years ago, when uh, people used fax machines a lot, um, he was communicating with his clients via all three methods, but didn't ask the preferred method. And when this client hired a new um, CFO, this person okay. saw this, and this person thought they were being triple billed. So that's a communication breakdown. The CEO of the company knew and loved the lawyer and they had a long history and knew that this lawyer wasn't going to triple bill, but was curious as to why this happened, how could this happen? Mm -hmm. What it was was a failure to ask those questions that you mentioned earlier. Um, throughout the relationship, you have to ask those questions. This lawyer thought he was covering all his bases to make sure he was protecting the client. The client's CFO thought, while wow, we're being triple billed. So yep. that could have been avoided. And, and it can be if you ask pre-engagement um, pre or intake questions, as you mentioned. I think that's so smart. I mean... Lawyers in general have an aversion to asking questions, as you say, that we don't know the answer to. Correct. And that's something that we're just going to have to get over in a business sense because it's those very questions that are going to tighten the relationship with the client. Because, A, how often does the lawyer that you're working with ask you what you want? Just right. asking that puts you in a different category than any other legal provider they've ever worked with. Boom. Exactly. Yep. Totally. Exactly. And then I, when you get that data back and you actually put it to good use, so you studied them as you suggest, you really get to understand their languaging and moreover their goals and the unexpressed goals that they're afraid to tell you. Yes. I call it their latent needs. That's You're right. right. So, so for example, um, when you go in and you ask a, a 
client or prospect about their legal needs. You're missing the mark. You're totally missing the mark. You need to ask them what they're trying to achieve in their business sense. And because they can tell you that they are aligned with the mission, strategy, and vision of the company. This is what they do daily. That's what's important to them. So you're missing a huge opportunity to really become one with the client. And on all the Zen feelingness that that means. So if you guys are like, ew, become one, too bad for you. That actually <laughs> saying exactly where you're at. I'm just, I say this so often, I sound like a broken record. But the future of law belongs to lawyers who are willing to unlearn the old ways. Yes. Embrace the new. The new is that you care about your client in a way that you haven't in the past. Right. Your and you work. have to, if you That's want to, funny. yeah, it's, it's critical. So, so a lot of firms maybe, I, um, you know, I work with generally mid-sized to large-sized firms, but I'm also uh, working one-on-one -on -one with solo lawyers and what have you. They don't understand that because they don't generally track the win-loss ratio of opportunities that mm -hmm. you know, they've sought versus won or lost, they don't see it when they're losing market share. Right. You know, I asked one lawyer, I said, well, when's the last time you talked to this client? He said, oh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I said, oh, so do you think this client has had no legal needs in two years? <laughs> you know, I'm guessing they have switched lawyers, you know? So um, I try to help them realize that the business of law is, is not just knowing the law. It's right? definitely knowing business. So that I try to hold their hand. Good. In my new business, what I do is I take that one step further. Mm -hmm. And then I take the communication skills that I teach most lawyers in order to better relate with clients. I take it one step further and then I put it in perspective of uh, the differences in communications between men and women. So oh. if, yeah, because I'm seeing more women CEOs and women general counsels and women C-level who are making these decisions. So if you're a man who needs to communicate with a female CEO, mm -hmm. that might be a different, you know, you need to speak the language of the client. If you're a female lawyer trying to um, bring in new business uh, and you're meeting with a CFO versus the CEO, that's a totally different uh, tact you take. So that's... That's a quantitative thinker. The CFO is going to be like, cut to the chase. I don't want to. That's right. That's how right. much will it cost me? How long will this take you? Those are the things he cares about. If you're meeting with the CEO, this person may be more visionary. She cares about how the end users will appreciate it. How will this impact her employees? How will this impact their families? You know, so the different communications that are critical to success between men and women, um, that's where I take it in my new business. The next step is women in business, how to help them communicate more effectively to bring in new business. I love that because there are some challenges out there in terms of talking and negotiating and understanding the difference. I'm a big fan of Chris Heim, who yeah. has a wonderful treatise on the ways men and women communicate differently. And and We've yeah. got to give a shout out to Deborah Tannen too. <laughs> there you go. And you know, people laugh at that stuff all the time, but it has real impact. If you could just keep in mind a few of these things when you're meeting someone and talking to them, you do so much better. Yes, I agree. I, I, I'm telling you my cheeks are burning for the smiling that I'm doing. Because <laughs> Same here. Same here. Really. So yes, yes. I'm very delighted that you're going to be part of our talent library and the folks who are in Outsource Easier, my subscription 
um, model library are going to be able to benefit from you. I know that you're going to have a special offer for folks who are in there. Yes. Want to um, get with you before that? How can they reach out to you? Well, at this stage, and I think for quite a while, um, you can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and online at freemanmeansbusiness.com. You can also find me under my name, which is Susan C. Freeman, and my email, which is susan at freemanmeansbusiness.com. Perfect. Now, folks, this is a pretty rich episode. I know, you know, as lawyers, we're taught that selling is a bad <laughs> it's a dirty word. Yeah. Dirty word. It's a very, very dirty word. But if you don't have any clients, you don't have a business. And if you don't have a law business, you can't help anybody. And most of the lawyers I know wanted to help somebody. So right. mastering this skill is going to be something that will allow you to do the thing that you always wanted to do, help other people. I will say that it's not something you're going to master overnight. Just want to be honest and transparent about that. Yes. And that what will likely be is that you will engage with a number of different advisors about how to do it and take a little bit from each person, mash it all up, and then that will be your style. So don't feel like if you're not quite getting it, because um, I know how competitive we can be. Yes, um, yes. So I, I want to add to that to say that Honestly, most of the time when I've worked with um, rainmakers, they, they don't they don't need a lot of what I do. So they understand what a relationship sale is versus I'm selling a, a fixed product. So when we work on selling professional services, it's all about building relationships and being you know client centric and offering amazing client service. When I work with those who are not quite in the rainmaker model, I find a lot of introverts. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, you know, I have to tell you, they're very successful because introverts are great listeners. They're not, they're not shy like people misperceive them to be. They're simply selective. Mm. Yeah, so I, I work with people who are successful at developing business and those who are not as successful at developing business. And more selective, that's how yes. we're saying that. Yes, they're not shy, they're selective. Well, thank you so much. All right, peeps, so... I'm excited. I want you to get out there and touch base with Susan. Start thinking about your own process for making the sale and converting people. How are you raising your visibility in the marketplace with your marketing? How are you creating that system for your business development so that you truly and deeply understand your clients and what they need from you? That's important to focus on, so let's get that done. If I can help you in any way, I would love to be able to do that. You can find me over at OutsourceEasier.com. My new site, The Modern Solo Lawyer, is going to be up and about sometime in September. So I'm looking forward to having you check that out. Uh, you know, I'll leave you with the saying that I always say, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Be intentional so that you can have the life and the law practice that you always desired. Dina Eisenberg signing off. Thank you.